one night, and this was early on in the, the pandemic, but the e-commerce bump had already started to take hold. I was just taking out the trash and recycling. And after you know, a half hour of breaking down boxes, multiple trips up and down the, the driveway, looking at my neighbor's houses that had similar piles of ridiculous piles of waste on their curbs, sort of dawned on me that this is crazy that we're over a quarter century into shopping online and the status quo delivery experience is you know, a single use box. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Nate Faust is the founder of Olive, a first-of-its-kind shopping site with a mission to reduce waste from online shopping. Olive consolidates a shopper's orders from multiple retailers into one delivery with the package arriving in a reusable tote without any cardboard or plastic. Returns are simplified by putting items from multiple retailers back into the tote for doorstep pickup. There are several hundred top-selling fashion brands on Olive, including Saks Fifth Avenue, Vince, Hugo Boss, and Adidas. Nate previously co-founded Jet.com before selling it to Walmart for $3.3 billion, the largest U.S. e-commerce acquisition to date at the time. Following the acquisition, he was head of Walmart's e-commerce supply chain, where he pioneered free nationwide two-day and next-day delivery. The impetus for launching Olive was seeing dozens of cardboard boxes outside of people's homes during the pandemic, when online shopping was at an all-time high. Well, I started by asking Nate, about how he came to know his future business partners in Jet.com. So he took me back to where it all began. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. Success doesn't happen by accident, and it doesn't happen overnight. It takes coordinated, concerted efforts by you and your team, tightly connected at each step of the journey, even if they're physically apart. In this evolving age of work, productivity and mobility go hand in hand. And remote and hybrid workers need a truly mobile PC. With the Galaxy Book lineup, Samsung set out to make a PC that's more like a smartphone, thin, light, and powerful. Invest in your workforce, invest in your future. Upgrade to Galaxy Book, the PC that helps modern businesses go further. Explore the whole range at samsung.com slash galaxy book for work. And we're back. It's uh, really coincidental that I even end up getting in touch with, with Mark Laurie, who I then you know, went on to work with for a little over a decade. I was uh, in my second year of business school at HBS, and I decided that I really wanted to go for a a startup. I did a summer internship in private equity, which was the sort of really hot thing at the time and still sort of is. Realized that wasn't for me. And then, you know, really wanted to get into a startup. So I started talking to my classmates who were at VC firms and a classmate of mine named Kent Bennett tossed my resume over to Jeremy Levine at Messenger Venture Partners, who was one of the sort of early investors in, in diapers.com. And it was funny, I was, I was 
sitting in the, the library, uh, just reading some cases, and my phone rang with a New Jersey phone number about 10 minutes after Kent let me know he he boarded my resume. And I let it go to voicemail just in case, like, I'm sure it's not Mark or them or anything, but turned out it was Mark. <laughs> I, so I, I jumped up out of the library, went, went to every store I could that sold baby stuff. We didn't have, my wife and I didn't have kids yet at the, at the time, realized it was a complete disaster of an in-store shopping experience. You know, at Target, for example, the diapers weren't even in the baby section. They were in the household section in the back corner of the store and everything was out of stock. And it was just, it was, it was crazy. And then, you know, after doing a little bit of consumer research, realized, wow, this was a, a huge idea called Mark back, came down to New Jersey to, to meet him and a few other folks from the team. They made me an offer on the spot. I accepted the offer on the spot. I, and you know, that got me on my way. So what was that like? I mean, making an offer on the spot, you're in business school, right? And obviously they saw something in you because usually it's, you know, you're begging for an opportunity like that. What do you think it was? Well, I, I do remember there was a, both Mark and Scott Hilton, who, you know, I also worked a lot of the last 10 years. That's I, I reported to Scott at, uh, at diapers.com. They like to ask a lot of brain teasers uh, in their in their interviews, and there was this one brain teaser I could probably remember if I had to to pull it out. But they actually didn't have the answer to the brain teaser. It was like a notional question. It was something around Cracker Jack boxes and winning prizes, and if there's five different prizes, how many boxes would you have to buy to be ninety nine percent certain that you'd have all uh, five prizes and they said, no, how, how would you go about it? I was like, well, I actually just like to solve. You don't mind if I can pop up Excel quickly, I can just solve it. And so I did that. I think that was one thing I, that impressed them. But I was more impressed with them. I, had, I felt like I found this incredible, still very small. I think the last year, they were $34 million in revenue. I, you know, so still very early, less than 10 employees in the corporate office. And I had found this incredible team led by Mark, who just had this absolute vision for going way beyond baby products. We eventually ended up adding many of those categories, some of them after our acquisition by, by Amazon. But I just, I knew I wanted to work with that team. And my classmates thought I was crazy for going to join this 10 person diaper company, which we didn't have diapers.com yet. I think it was still 1-800-diapers.com was the, the URL. And so my classmates thought I was crazy. But then over the you know five years I was there, ended up recruiting so many classmates who recruited so many classmates, you know, so on and so forth, that that Mark actually put a moratorium on, on hiring from HBS for a, a short period. <laughs> it's kind of funny because he had so much success with you, but I, I guess you need different perspectives. What was that feeling like? when you finally sold to, to Amazon? Yeah, well, it was surreal. You know, when I joined Diapers, it was my first startup. It was also for, for Mark and Vinny. You know, they had done a startup beforehand called The Pit that they sold to Tops. But at some point, as we were you know, going through fundraising conversations, all of a sudden we find out, wow, there's a, a, a chance we'll be acquired by Amazon. It's like, wow, that's a that's pretty incredible. Like we thought just this, you know, small, like we're growing fast, you know, we're sort of number one in the Inc 
500, but we're still this tiny e-commerce player. And now all of a sudden, Amazon wants to buy with us. And so I think, or wants to buy us. And so I think that it was it was exciting being courted by Amazon. You know, by the time the actual deal went through, I think there were there were mixed emotions because ultimately not as much investment went in diapers.com as I think we thought the potential was there. And you know, two years following our departure, they ended up shutting it down, which I still think is a real shame because I don't think there's a great platform out there for for new parents to shop for their their kids. It's you know, especially when you have a newborn, it's overwhelming the number of things you have to buy and you have to learn about. And Amazon is just such a huge marketplace with so many hundreds of millions of products that it's hard to sort through and find what you need. And at diapers, you know, we had still to this day, I think one of the most incredible e-commerce experiences. Yeah. And from that point, I'm curious because they hired you, you came in there right out of business school or, or did you leave actually prior to graduating? No, I didn't. I, it, the, the timing worked out well. I, I graduated and then, and then joined the team in the summer. Gotcha. So you go to work there. You, you obviously had to make a huge impression because they asked you to be a co-founder of, of jet.com. How did that go down? Just got to know Mark really well. I, throughout my five years at, at diapers, you know, I worked on a bunch of different initiatives across the company. And you know, one of the personal projects that I was really, or projects an ongoing evolution was, was really driving forward and pushing on our speed of delivery, which we were already very fast having two day nationwide delivery, but was able to push that to, you know, next day for 75% of our orders. We launched same day delivery in New York city, even before Amazon was doing it. I think we were the sort of second ones to do it behind Barnes and Noble. And so really just sort of was able to hire a bunch of great folks on a team that, that pushed forward a lot of key initiatives to drive growth and the customer experience, especially on the operations side. And I, through that, was promoted to the, the management team where I got to work even more closely with Mark. And then, you know, the way I actually came to be working with Jet is I was actually bouncing after we had both both left and were looking to do other things. I was bouncing an idea off of Mark of, and I don't, at that point, I think I thought I was ready, but I don't think I was ready to go out on my own, if you will. And I was bouncing an idea off of him, this like local marketplace where availability was based on different factors and blah, 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 blah. But it was more of a premium experience. And he said, well, some of the technology that you're talking about to, to power that, that would be some of the same stuff. We need to build this idea that I've been working on. And then he gave me the whole sort of jet.com pitch, which was around the inefficiencies that exist in e-commerce and every customer paying the same thing, even though there's huge variations in order level profitability based on shipping distance, whether things can come from the same facility, whether people return something or not, whether they call customer service, what credit card they use, all of that gets baked into to averages. But with Jet, we can build a platform where we didn't have the name yet, but we can build this platform where pricing is individualized to the consumer, empowering them to save money through taking actions. And when he explained that to me, I was like, that's incredible. That sounds way better than the idea that I was working on. 
I, and then, you know, he, he invited me and also Mike Hanrahan, uh, also from, from, from diapers, but who Mark had worked with prior to, to diapers and his, his banking days invited us to, to come on as, as co-founders. And that was, you know, an incredibly exciting ride. Well, I remember hearing about when you guys launched and, and then I was just blown away because it was like this business that had launched a few years earlier. And then I just remember reading like jet sold to Walmart for over $3 billion. And I was like, how the hell did that happen? Like, what, how did you guys do that? Like, what was it that it's amazing? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it comes down to the, the team that we were able to build to move so rapidly against a huge opportunity because you know the thesis of Jet was that, hey, everybody thinks the sort of price war online is over and everybody's focused on on, on speed and chasing Amazon on that element. We're like, hey, most consumers shop on price and most consumers that don't shop online don't shop online because it's actually more expensive, especially on lower priced consumable products. And so we just built a great team that was able to move incredibly rapidly. And you know, we, we started the company April, 2014. We built the entire platform from scratch, every front end and back end application with maybe the singular exception of the sort of customer service phone system. But everything else, product setup, search, pricing, inventory management, warehouse management, transportation management, marketing, optimization, et cetera, you know, built the whole thing from scratch, launched in July of 2015. So about 15 months later, we actually did more in sales on our first day of Jet.com than we did, than we were doing on a run rate basis when we sold diapers to Amazon. So it was pretty insane. You know, Mark was on multiple national news segments that day. I think both, I can't remember the exact thing, like both Good Morning America and NBC Nightly News. Day one, we had 50,000 shoppers simultaneously on the site. And Mike and the technology team that he built out that built that platform, it held up on, on day one. And then over the next year, we went from that you know, launch date, sort of grow rapidly to a, a billion-dollar run rate in, in GMV flowing through the platform, and then started talking with, with Walmart about um, potentially investing in Jet. And as we started to talk more and more, we realized that the opportunity to, to, to come together to build together for a, a, a broader e-commerce experience and one that could, could rival Amazon was a perfect opportunity. Incredible. How did you get those 50, th- like, how did you just turn on kind of the lights? And I know it, I make it sound very easy, <laughs> but how, how did you like right off the bat have that many people who were, you know, joining or, or coming on jet.com? Yeah, well, well, part of it was this genius idea that that Mark had, where we actually did a referral competition where the winner I received, I think it was a hundred thousand shares of Jet.com, and I think 
we were the, the first startup to ever do this. I'm not sure if anybody's done it since. It required some coordination with the, the SEC and other, uh, other elements. But we had an enormous uh, sort of mailing list, if you will, that was created through this stock competition referral program. And the winner of that became you know, a, a millionaire from it. Uh, probably more. <laughs> pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty awesome story. I, I believe it was a, he was an insurance broker in, in Pennsylvania. Oh, well, I, that, that's such a great story. I, I love that idea and the, the idea behind it. And it really seems like just such an incredible, amazing story, how, how you were able to build that up. But was there ever a time in the short period that it was around on its own that you thought maybe this isn't going to be successful? I mean, you, you, you always feel that. I mean, when, when things are growing that rapidly, we largely had things under control, but one of the biggest elements of risk in any startup in any industry is what do fundraising markets look like? Because you know, in any startup, you're looking at three, five, seven years of investment before you start to turn cash flow positive. And there were some moments there where now luckily there didn't end up being one and we were able, you know, which is sort of Mark's superpower in selling a vision and very passionately uh, getting investment partners. But that was the the one risk from an execution perspective and a value proposition perspective of the service and low price. We were we were confident in the business model, but you know, we knew that it would take a lot of a lot of capital and there could always be a moment where fundraising VC markets get cold and then you know you're in a you're you're in a tough spot. But luckily that didn't happen over the the brief period. And and honestly, there hasn't this is almost crazy. You would have thought there would have been a lull last year with the pandemic, but it's it's been almost over a decade now since there's been any real pullback in 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 VC markets. Yeah, it is amazing just in terms of which is great to see, obviously, the amount of businesses getting funded and people out there growing new businesses, especially coming out of, of the pandemic or being in the pandemic, which, you know, no, I, I think, and I'm curious what you think, but I think when there's times like this and going back to the financial crisis, I think a lot of new and interesting businesses are born. And I know you recently started, I guess you finally got to doing your own thing. And uh, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about that. More from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsors. You know, when it comes to your next business read, you do have options. You could pick up that trendy new buzzwordy business book, or you could learn the timeless buzzword free lessons of a straightforward modern classic. I'm talking about Good Profit by Charles Koch a CEO with a real-world track record of decade upon decade of actual exponential business growth. Want the lessons from someone who's actually done it? Start by visiting goodprofitbook.com. That's goodprofitbook.com. And our next sponsor. Coming to the era of efficiency, Alibaba.com aims to help their users spend less and sell more. With better experiences, less time consuming, more reliable service to obtain 
higher quality and a variety of global sourcing, Alibaba.com makes global sourcing efficient and easy to use for any buyer, especially for SMB. As a B2B global e-commerce platform, Alibaba.com provides a much easier, flexible, and efficient way for online retailers to source various products from global manufacturers and other types of suppliers. With supplies, fulfillment services, and easy-to-use experiences improving continuously, Alibaba.com has been ready to be the new source of business success for online retailers. For more detail, information, please go check out Alibaba.com. And we're back. Um, you know, I'm currently working on a, a startup called Olive with actually a lot of other great folks, many of whom I've, I've worked with in the past at both you know, Jet and, and Diapers, but had actually decided not to do another e-commerce startup and was, you know, having spent the last, you know, call it decade focused on, you know, just growth, driving growth and consumption, wanted to do something with a social or environmental impact this time around. And so I was looking at things completely outside of e-commerce. I was actually, I talked to a few nonprofits. I was researching renewable energy, geothermal, solar, realized that was a super steep learning curve. And then one night, and this was early on in the, the pandemic, but the, the e-commerce bump had already started to take hold. I was just taking out the, the trash and recycling. And after you know, a half hour of breaking down boxes, multiple trips up and down the, the, the driveway, looking at my neighbor's houses that had similar piles of, you know, ridiculous piles of waste on their curbs, sort of dawned on me that this is crazy that we're, you know, over a quarter century into shopping online and the status quo delivery experience is, you know, a single use box filled with, with air bubbles. And there's over, you know, 10 billion of these shipped to consumers every year and even growing more rapidly now. And, realize this is both a huge pain point as well as an environmental issue. And on both of those topics, just the tip of the iceberg, you know, on the sustainability side, the even bigger issue than the packaging is the fact that the majority of those boxes are delivered one at a time. And, you know, just looking out my front window here for the last 18 months, it's some seemingly two, three, four, sometimes five plus delivery trucks a day, each dropping off separate packages. And from a consumer experience perspective, you're dealing with the waste is just one of a handful of a number of pain points that we don't see as pain points because shopping online is still more convenient than going to a store. But when you look at these things, they're real hurdles when it comes to you know, having to reach free ship minimums to check out, creating all these different accounts at, at sites to place your orders all these different tracking notifications that you're getting from both brands and carriers dealing with the, the, the garbage, which is sort of where it started. But then the biggest pain point I feel when shopping online is returns, where every retailer has a different process, a different policy. Sometimes there's a label in the box. Sometimes you have to call customer service. Sometimes you can print it on your phone. Sometimes you get it on a computer. Then you got to find tape. Then it's the UPS store, FedEx, post office. Amazon wants you to go to Kohl's. It's just a huge amount of pain and variation. And so what we're working on at Olive is we feel there's a much better way that's both more sustainable 
and more convenient for customers to, to receive e-commerce deliveries and make returns. And we sort of have two components of our, our business. One that's sort of sort of already out there and operational that we launched earlier this year, which is a consumer experience where you sign up for Olive and you can shop across a hundred plus, you know, starting in the fashion space, hundred plus retailers that we have affiliate uh, relationships with. And when you shop with Olive on those sites, everything you order comes delivered waste-free in consolidated deliveries once or twice per week with returns of empty packaging and any items picked straight up off your off your doorstep. And then separately, which we're still very early on, we're not going for the same kind of crazy jet.com growth, but we've, we're getting great feedback from consumers with you know, our net promoter score in the high 60s, low 70s, week in, week out. And then separately, what we're developing right now and working with our sort of first handful of, of pilot partners is more of a direct logistics offering for brands so they can provide this waste-free delivery and easy returns experience to their customers. Uh, first, I, I love it. And I love the idea of incorporating social impact because I do believe that so many people today and shoppers, I have that same, I look outside, I'm in a New York City apartment building and my wife, it's not me, she gets tons of these deliveries every day and you see the, the boxes. I, I thought it was only me. I'm, I'm glad you told me that's you and all your neighbors too because I figured this one was on my wife, but I guess this is going on all over the world now. But I do believe that there's, when you look at that and you see that, I think there's so many consumers who understand the impact that that's going to have on the environment and just in terms of everything we're doing. And I, I just find, and I'm curious if this went into your you know, analysis, is that more and more people are looking for these opportunities to work with companies and brands that, that are being socially impactful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that definitely went into our thesis in, in building out the business, but we're actually focused on from a, a consumer experience perspective is focusing on the convenience and the premium experience. Because you know, my opinion is that to have the greatest impact, you need to create products and services that customers use because they love them and because they're superior not because they're you know looking to you know do something specifically that has an environmental impact but might have some trade-offs when it comes to a consumer experience perspective and so we are sort of first foot forward with convenience but making sure that people understand that there's a sustainability benefit so that they then feel good about using it you know i sort of liken it to tesla where most people that buy teslas at least i don't feel they're buying them for the zero emissions element. They're buying them because they're one of the absolute highest performing vehicles out there and fun to drive and all the gadgets and gizmos, et cetera. But by doing that, you are also helping the environment and the core mission of Tesla is around, around the environment. And so you know, we're taking a, a, a similar approach and similarly also starting on the more more premium side of things. Yeah, we had uh, I had Tim Brown from Allbirds on the podcast, and it was funny because when I had mentioned that too, it was like, look, first and foremost, 
we're making better shoes than our competition. Secondly, it's an incredible benefit and opportunity because they're sustainable product, right? So it's the same thought pattern that you have with Olive and, and you're right. And I think consumers will find it incredibly more convenient. And I am going to definitely uh, talk to my wife tonight. So hopefully you'll have one more, one more customer by, by the end of the day. And has there been any being out on your own, doing this yourself after so much success, has there been any time yet where you thought, Hey, you know, maybe this isn't going to work or this might have to change. I know it's so new, but have you had those days? I mean, you, you always have those days, but they're far outweighed by the days where you realize what the impact of a model, both from a customer experience and the sustainability side of things can have in the long run. And, you know, every day I read the customer feedback and, you know, every once in a while there's something negative in there. And that's, you know, usually the thing that will make me feel down is, is reading about a customer that came into some corner condition of the service, but they're outweighed sort of 10 to one with positive feedback because it is such a new and novel experience that the, the feedback is pretty phenomenal, even though at the moment consumers have to make a trade for the delivery speed, but these other elements far outweigh that. And so, you know, that seeing great customer feedback along with the great team that we have. So that's what, what keeps me upbeat and excited for the future, you know, 99 plus percent of the, of the time. Has it been starting and running a business during this time, you know, and I'm not sure the, the last businesses, I'm sure you had kind of brick and mortar offices and has that been a challenge for you? And especially when you focus on culture? Yeah, I think for, for me personally, it's been a challenge. I generally don't like to have meetings and like to just sort of wander around the office and interact naturally with 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 various teams and brainstorm, troubleshoot, et cetera. Um, you know, and that's what I did for all the time at, at Jet. You know, I didn't even have a desk. Nobody had offices. You know, I literally just wandered the what, 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 yeah, with, with some structure, but wandered the wandered the halls, if you will. And so working in an environment now, luckily, many of our early folks had long prior working relationships with, so it was still able to be more organic and, and off the cuff with text messaging and cell phone calls off the bat, et cetera. But especially now as the team is growing and we're bringing great new folks that none of us have, have worked with before, I think having some in-person component will help drive progress as well as culture, which is, you know, incredibly important at the, at the, that is what is at the true foundation of a successful startup. When you have a, a, a group of people that are fully aligned in driving after a, a, a big vision and excited to do it and excited to do it together with the people they're, they're working with. And so we actually are in the process of opening our first office, ironically, right across the street, our old diapers.com office in Jersey City. I was there earlier today uh, getting a few things set up, but came back home for this because the uh, we don't have the internet set up yet. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I appreciate uh, heading back home and and at least doing this this interview. Hopefully, this maybe will be your last interview before you guys are in an office. But it is interesting, you know. Personally, I, I launched a podcast uh, business during this pandemic too, and we did have a core group of people we've worked with. But now we've added people in, you know, I'm in New York, but in Miami and California, and why? And it's just it's just so strange because it's like so foreign to me. But what's amazing is it's working, you know, in in a certain yeah. way, right? But I do agree with you. It's like you have to. You're going to have to have, because I'm like you, I don't like the isolation. I like just talking and getting ideas going and curious if there is a thought of how you're going to implement that. Will it be like a hybrid model or will it? Yeah, no, it's, it, it's absolutely going to be hybrid, you know, no, no requirement to come into the office. We do have team members all across the country. Also, that's actually been one of the biggest challenges that didn't have prior experience with is setting up payroll in like 15 or 16 different states. I think we have uh, now for 30 employees, I think we're in 16 different states or, or, or something crazy like that. But there are things that we've done to be able to, you know, trivia nights and, well, not nights, trivia afternoons and virtual happy hours and, and whatnot. And we'll, we'll continue to do that because a good chunk of the team is distributed across the country. And, you know, even for, folks in the immediate New York City area, you know, we want to continue to be flexible because it's obvious the sort of world has changed in the way that people work and, and think about work. And you know, even myself, I'm only planning on going back in three days a week and having a couple of days here where it's, it's a lot easier to think in my attic than it is in a you know, bustling, bustling startup office. Do you think the way we work is at least going to be changed. I hate to say forever, but over the next five, 10 years, do you think it's not going to be the same? I mean, I'll be honest. I don't, I don't think I've thought about this deeply enough to have an answer that would be actually interesting, but I think that's the one thing that you can, you can always count on is, is change and evolution. And in most cases, things get better over time. Obviously, there were things over the last 18 months where there were huge hardships that, that people have, have, have gone through through COVID, you know, especially for first responders, which both my wife, wife's sister, and my sister you know, are, are, are nurses and have mm. sort of handled a lot of that firsthand. But after this little dip, I think, yeah, there'll be some some good things that come out of this. They'll continue to evolve and companies will come up with with ways to, to, to make more fun because whether it's in-person, remote, hybrid, whatever it is, I think that's what's most important is people need to have fun and enjoy what they're doing at work. And that is something that, you know, along with my decision that I mentioned earlier when coming out of business school that I really wanted to work for a startup, I also decided that from that point forward, I was really only going to do things from a career perspective that were fun. And I wasn't going to do anything that I thought was the stepping stone to some next success or what I thought others expected I should do based on my experience and skills that I just wanted to do what was fun. I, and I'd say I've had a blast the last, you know, sort of 13 years since I've, since I've made that decision. Whereas before that, working in sort of more traditional 
environments like investment banking and management consulting did, did, did not have that much fun. Yeah, that, that's great insight, especially for a lot of our listeners who are kind of thinking about doing or going after starting a business in something they love. And I agree with you, life's like way too short, you know, to not really tackle and do something that you're going to enjoy or a mission like you have now with Olive. And where do you see Olive five years down the road? What, what do you really want to accomplish with the business? Yeah, I mean, what, what I'd really like to accomplish, and this could be accomplished by Olive or even the, the, the industry, I do feel that they're from both a customer experience and even more importantly, from a sustainability perspective, which is the primary reason I was even interested in, in working on this, is that there has got to be a better way for deliveries and returns to happen, especially as the volume just continues to grow. And whether that's something that we can work with every major retailer in the and brand in the country over the next 10 years to help them create that experience, or if others see the, the model and you know, go out and tackle it themselves, that to me would equally be a success. Because for me, especially for this business, success about this business is not about the, the top line growth or the financial outcomes. Now, obviously, the bigger we are, the bigger of an impact we're having. But you know, I, I would just like to see things happen in a different way because the way they've come to be was really just this sort of like natural evolution of what was a you know a legacy delivery model that was originally created for delivering boxes of stuff from one business to another. It wasn't designed for delivering items in smaller quantities to to, to consumers' homes and feel this is a, a far more powerful and more convenient and more sustainable model to do that. Yeah. Before I let you go and I want to ask you, I know it sounds like you've had some incredible mentors and I know that that's important to you. And how has mentorship now played a a role in your life and kind of giving back? It it seems like. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel incredibly fortunate over the, you know, sort of past 10 years to have had Mark as a, a, a mentor. He has really influenced me. You know, when I when I came to diapers.com, you know, I was sort of solely focused on numbers and metrics and analysis and problem solving. And he really opened my eyes to, to, to vision and culture and how to bring those together. And I am very grateful for that. I don't know if I pay it forward quite as quite as much as as he does um, but I do probably once a week I have a conversation with someone who I've worked with in the past to give them advice on a startup a new job raising money the sort of the gamut of being fulfilled from a from a career perspective because you know I I feel incredibly fortunate to be as fulfilled as I am through the, through the mentorship that, that I've had. I think that's well said and want to let you know, really appreciate coming on the show. I know you, you had to leave your new office, which doesn't have internet yet. I'm sure soon enough you're going to get it and this is going to grow and you're going to do extremely well. I love that you're on a mission and 
Really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak with us. No, thank you, Robert. It was, it was really fun being on with you. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.